Happy Monday! Today we are talking to Ben Larrabee. Ben is a member of the Young Republicans of Arizona and works for TPUSA. Although it's important to note that Ben is coming on to our podcast as an individual and doesn't represent TPUSA in any way. He's a young conservative that loves politics as much as YRO does. Stephen and I met Ben at the YR National Convention in Indianapolis in July 2021. I hope you enjoy Chairman Stephen Lloyd's talk with Ben about everything going on in Arizona right now. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with the Young Republicans. Well, uh, so of course, uh, first of all, thank you, uh, Stephen Lauren, for having me on as well. Uh, even uh, and of course, um, always a big shout out to the Oregon YRs. Had an opportunity to meet you a couple of weeks ago, and I was just so impressed at the work that not only your chapter is doing, but your chapters across the state are doing to, um, which I would say mitigate some of the craziness that's <laughs> coming out of Oregon right now. Um, so of course, when it comes to the YRs, um, I was recruited by our now chairman, uh, Austin Smith from the Arizona YRs to come out. Before that though, I was actually uh, in the member of the Texas YRs uh, under leadership of Hayden Paget, who's now our national co-chair as well. Um, but fundamentally how I got involved is after the election, after the fiasco, that was the month long recount and recount and re-re-recount, uh, I essentially said to myself, I was literally reading Teddy Roosevelt's uh, Man in the Arena speech and that was literally my mindset was, you know what, don't necessarily agree with everything that's going on in the country right now. And I could be one of those people that sits back, sits back and complains and comments on what everybody else is doing. But at the end of the day, you're either in the arena or you're not. So I went up to Austin. I asked, I don't care how I'm involved. I don't care what you have me to do. I could be um, knocking doors. I could be recruiting candidates. I could be um, sweeping streets, digging holes. I don't care what it is. Get me involved. We have a country to take back. And no matter what part I have in it, at the end of the day, there's only so many seconds you have left. Um, and if you're not spending every second of those uh, trying to figure out ways how we're going to take this country back, well, that's all I care about in the movement. And that's my mindset. That's how I approached Austin. That's how I got involved. And if anybody else listening to this is looking to be involved, please contact Stephen. Please contact your local chapter. It doesn't matter what your experience is. What matters is that you're in the arena to begin with. I love that tenacity. I love that hunger. I love the idea of seeing a chairman dig a ditch. Uh, so <laughs> with that, I, I just wanted to kind of maybe find out a little bit more about the, um, the YR chapters that you have in your state. How many do you have? What are your really, really big ones? What are your, what are your smaller ones out there that are just getting started? Um, if you'd like to highlight some of those guys, uh, this would be the time to do it. No, of course. So, um, obviously, member of the Maricopa YRs, uh, chairman is obviously my good friend, Luke. He's doing a fantastic job right now. We've recruited dozens and dozens of uh, PCs or precinct committee men to um, run for local office. We've recruited members to run for state office and worked with um, all the way up from city council members, all the way up to Senate members to run for office as well. Um, Maricopa is obviously the biggest right now, but just in the last 
few months. We started four additional ones all the way down in Tucson, all the way up to Flagstaff, that's Coconino. And we have many, many more in the work all over Arizona as well. The Valley gets a lot of attention because it's Phoenix, it's big. Um, there's a lot of people here. It's the fastest growing county, uh, not only in the country, but it's also contains the fastest growing chapters in the country right now. But even though it gets all the attention, there are plenty of things going on that are incredible all over Arizona. Because what is um, amazing right now is because young people have obviously been written off by other generations for some reason or another that either they don't care, they're not involved, or they're too liberal to even bother with. And what's incredible about uh, being involved with the YRs in Arizona is so many like-minded people, not just that are in my demographic that are um, around the same age as I am, but of bringing fresh new America first ideas to a party that had frankly not appealed to my generation for years and even past generation mm -hmm. for many decades before that. That's what's so excited about this movement. Um, leaders from top to bottom are good, strong America first conservatives that wanna take this party back are doing so on the grass level and the sky is the limit from where we're going to go from here. That's really, really exciting to hear. Um, I, I was kind of wondering if your state's going through kind of the, the a big pattern that's going on in the, the Western states is, uh, I'm going to call it the great migration. Uh, yes. whether, it's, whether it's people fleeing your state to go to Texas or, uh, or people fleeing those, those liberal bastions like California, Washington, yes. Oregon, and coming into your state as well. No, yes, of course. So uh, I mentioned earlier, we're the fastest growing uh, city in the fastest growing county, one of the fastest growing states in the US. So thank you for that, California. <laughs> um, and I'm kidding, of course, we have the California's YRs that I know are listening. They're great, um, doing good work, uh, loving all the things they're doing for the California recall, but they're the only part of California that's working right now. Of course. <laughs> When it um, comes to Arizona, there's a lot of policy implications for um, what we need to unpack here. So obviously we've heard this argument and I was in Texas. I heard this all the time when I was with the Texas YRs that all these people are fleeing from California and moving to, into red states. They're moving into Nevada. They're moving into Utah, to Arizona, to Texas, Tennessee, Florida, etc. And because these states are run by Republicans. They're attracted to their success. And because we've done a, such a good job of running our states, all the liberals are pouring in and voting in more liberals. So in a way, we're a victim of our own success. You've kind of heard this self, um, yeah. almost self-congratulatory uh, doom spell coming out of people. Well, at the end of the day, it's half true. Um, because obviously people are fleeing um, California and liberal states in New York. Um, Washington, et cetera. Um, but at the end of the day, if these states were emptying of liberals, you would expect them to be more conservative or at least get less blue, <laughs> except the opposite is happening in California. California is getting gradually more and more blue. Now, why is that? Because on an individual basis, many people that are fleeing are also conservatives. Now, this is obviously um, different from Arizona, but let me give you a perfect example of how this looks. Ted Cruz in his 2018 Senate campaign, if you look at uh, people who voted for him that had moved into the state, not born in the state, had moved into the state, Ted Cruz actually won that vote over Beto O'Rourke. 
if you count people that were actually born in Texas, their parents are from Texas, they were born in Texas, they grew up in Texas, Beto O'Rourke, or should I say Robert O'Rourke, actually uh, won that demographic in Texas. So it's interesting to note that it's, and I don't mean to discount it, there are certainly examples, like for example, I lived in Austin for a number of years. Austin is a perfect example. You never met anybody from Austin. You met people who are from New York, from California, from San Francisco that were living in Austin. So that's obviously an example. But by and large, California is bleeding Republicans to other states. Mm-hmm. So what, I'm not denying it that it has an effect. It certainly does. But the policy implication here is, of course, uh, immigration from uh, Mexico and other countries. But more importantly, uh, blue states exporting not their citizens, but their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. For example, going back to Texas again, Austin, and I cite Austin because that's where I live, and I think that's a microcosm for um, how the state is, or how the left is turning both Texas bluer and is planning on turning Arizona blue. Austin is a perfect example. You didn't just import hippies from San Francisco. You imported tech companies. You imported lobbyists. You imported um, you imported woke corporations. You imported um, all of these people that were not just there to mooch off of a red state, but to build their own ecosystems within a red state. Interesting. This is an interesting um, item that I think young, us young Republicans need to analyze is how do we attract business to our state? How do we encourage business to our state? But when you import uh, companies from the third world, like San Francisco, for instance, <laughs> to, <laughs> to bring all of their workers, all of their policies, all their equity trainings, all the culture that they started as a university into conservative areas, what effect is that going to have there? And that's just not on the company. It's the effect on their consumers, on the media that they produce and other people consume. It's the effect on the, and the influence they have on local schools that are pushing all this critical race theory and DEI, diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. Every one single viewer should look up what that is because your school is probably teaching it. So it's not just one or two individuals or a number of individuals that are moving into the states. The policy implications of it is we are inadvertently importing entire leftist ecosystems into our states, and we need to be able to address that. That is a really, really interesting point. And we we definitely see some of the things in um, you know, the urban areas in Portland pushing yeah. farther and farther out with a lot of the policies and things, uh, whether it's your school districts or, I mean, like you said, um, what we're seeing in Portland primarily is um, it's big companies are the ones who are deciding yes. individual private behaviors now. Um, and they will enforce, you know, whether it's the governor's mandates or anything else. So I, I totally agree with you. And that's one thing that I love about being um, around, uh, you know, young Republicans is we have an interesting perspective. And, um, I think that that's what, um, that's, that's really what we bring to bear when it comes to the political conversation, because unfortunately our, our betters are the, our betters, they, they haven't necessarily, uh, communicated those types of issues to us in a groundswell of, of emotion or, you know, um, in in a big way in in their messaging. Um, Correct. And and so to pivot a little bit, um, 
I just want to uh, I just want to say that uh, I, I just saw that Gavin Newsom, according to some of the polls, that that's for the California governor out there. Just want to throw you guys a a couple of uh, thumbs up. Gavin Newsom right now it's like uh, 51 for for not recalling him and 49 for recalling him according to the current uh, polling. And I just guys just keep up the good work. We need to make those phone calls. We need to do that work um, because the thing is, is we need to get Gavin Newsom out of office and we need to start this big red wave of uh, Democrat governors packing their stuff and yes. going on home. Uh, Can I make a point on that very quickly? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to Newsom, I'm hearing a couple of friends saying, okay, what's the point? He's going to win anyway. I'm hearing people say, okay, what's the point? Even if he doesn't win, he's going to cheat and then wind up winning. Here's the reality of what we face. It's not just for California mm -hmm. because Gavin Newsom eventually wants to run for president of the United States. <laughs> uh, if, if you doubt me, well, just remember the man is literally a Disney cartoon villain in elective office. There is no limit to uh, how much power he wants to obtain. So of course he's going to try to run for higher office someday. He doesn't just want to wreck California. He wants to make the rest of the nation California. That's how full of himself this man is. But at the pandemic, he was so unpopular and was so stigmatized for what he had done, there was no chance he had any political future. Now, it is revived if he survives this recall election, yeah. because now he gets to claim, let's say that, God forbid, Larry Elder is not the next governor of California. Let's say he does win um, this uh, recall. What then happens is he gets to go on national TV and do a whole press tour saying, look at what happened. They tried to take away our state from you, the people. They tried to take away from women from LGBTQ, from minorities, from immigrants. The Republicans and conservatives and Trumpers tried to take it away from you, and I helped you fight back and win. His political career is instantly revived. He gets catapulted onto a national stage, and he now has a platform to run for president either in 24 or 28. So if you don't vote, even though you th think it's hopeless, if you don't vote, you're not only um, by default allowing California to still be run into the ground, you're allowing California to be exported to the rest of the nation. So conservatives in California, go vote. I don't care how long you think the yards are. It is pivotal. You vote yes on this recall. That's the oh, point I wanted to make awesome. really quick. No, that's, that's an awesome point. I love that. I love that. Uh, so pivoting back around to, to the great state of Arizona, for all of you guys that aren't familiar, um, the state of Arizona is doing an audit um, and they're still in the middle of that audit uh, for the 2020 presidential election. Uh, I, want, I wanted you to kind of explain um, what's kind of going on, uh, what kind of triggered it, and then what part in the process, if, you're, if you know, um, how, how's it going? Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, for those of you that remember, uh, in November of 2020, we went through uh, an election month um, okay. instead of our normal election day. And um, Arizona, of course, was an exceedingly close election. Um, Biden ultimately won and or was decided to have won. And 
the difference was only about 12,000 votes or less than a percent. So, uh, and men, much of the difference came out of Maricopa County, which Phoenix and all the suburbs are located in. Um, of course, there were a number of discrepancies that were alleged by the Republican Party of Arizona. And so Kelly Ward, God bless her, uh, being in so, such touch with the grassroots, recognized that patriots from all over Arizona were saying, hey, we don't care um, at this point. I mean, yes, obviously we're sad that Trump lost, but this is far beyond that. We want to be sure that no matter what happened, we know every single vote that was cast was counted, which I think is fair. I mean, if you have an election month, if you have mass ballots coming in from every corner of the country, um, if you have completely overhauled your election system overnight with no safeguards in place, I think it's at the very least, you have to understand why so many people are questioning if this was a safe and secure election, regardless of who won. Just um, for clarification, yeah. who's Kelly Ward? Oh, so Kelly Ward is our fabulous um, Arizona uh, GOP chairwoman who was uh, just reelected over the over this past year. Um, and of course, what is so special about Kelly is I think for the first time in a long while here in Arizona, we have a chairwoman that is so in touch with the grassroots here in Arizona. I mean, obviously she's a party big wig by default. She has a prominent position, but she really, really does know um, what the grassroots in Arizona is demanding. And right now that's election security. You ask any candidate in Arizona right now, log and step, you tell you the number one issue that is facing Arizona is election security. And they will, at least by word of mouth, they say this, they will uh, deal with it upon being elected. So I'm glad to see Kelly and the Arizona GOP pushing election security so hard. Um, back to the uh, audit though. Now I know, I mean, Stephen, I told you before this, um, that it was my goal to get y'all kicked off of Spotify. Um, <laughs> but you asked me to be nice in this um, interview. So I will uh, definitely temper it down a little bit um, <laughs> as our tech overlords have demanded. Uh, so um, I am not saying that there are a number of discrepancies in this election. Uh, I am not saying that the audit has allegedly identified multiple um, ballots that were either duplicated or uh, have suspicious marks or uh, ID numbers. I am not saying there were um, 3,000 voters that registered after the deadline when Arizona uh, cut off registrations for when you could vote. I am not saying there are 11,000 voters who were not on the voter rolls on November. We're on the, the voter rolls in December, but somehow voted in November. Uh, I am not saying that there are 70,000 ballots right now that they can, or the Arizona GOP can prove they were mailed to the polls, but they have no idea when or if they were mailed out. Uh, I am not saying there's about 100,000 votes with identifiable discrepancies in an election that was um, <laughs> decided by 12,000 votes, mind you. Um, two guesses as to which way all these votes skew, by the way. I'm not saying any, all, any of these things. What I am saying, though, is not only, and if you don't believe me, your viewers and listeners can look up uh, Bernard Couric's article on Newsmax, which he toured the facilities and details all of the measures they are taking 
to not only conduct the audit, but securely do so. So um, there is not, not only is if there's something they're going to find it, but there's no possible way any information could be leaked prematurely or any of the votes can be tampered with. Because I know this is the line in the media that this is an attempt by the Arizona GOP to steal this election. No, 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 no. It's not an attempt to uh, steal this election. I wouldn't even say it's an attempt to find out that this election was stolen. It's to find out what we need to show up in our election systems, no matter what the outcome is. Um, so they're keeping a tight lid on this. I wish I could tell you more about it, but the report, um, well, at least what I decided or did not cite was the preliminary report. That's some of the initial hearings they've held on this, but they have not released any further details because even the people who are involved in this, it's so sequestered that even they don't know uh, everything that's going on. There's a few people on the top. Um, Senator Kelly, Ken, Wendy Rogers is an example. Kelly Ward is an example that do have a lot of the information, but they're keeping a tight lid on this thing because they do not want any information to leak out prematurely. The report is supposed to be due out pretty much any week now. So I'll have to defer <laughs> until that happens. Um, what I will say about the audit though, is more than anything else, let's say that Trump pulled it off in November. Like, I'm not even saying he's like, okay, we found out later he pulled it off. No, let's say he won outright. He won an additional 13,000 votes in Arizona, won an additional 15 in Georgia, won an additional 15 in Wisconsin. He's the president of the United States. That's the reality. Let's say that happened. Mm -hmm. I would still be calling for this kind of audit because the reality is no matter on what side of the aisle you're on, you cannot deny this election was an absolute logistical nightmare. You cannot have mass balance being sent out everywhere and then sent back in. You cannot have states where there is no ID required to cast your ballot for president of the United States. You cannot have an election where it takes a month to count ballots. Just even of that, that's going to sow suspicion into the electorate that this election is not being conducted in any safe and secure way. So no matter who won, that's not even about this to me. What it's about is to ensure that not that we're relegating 2020, but that we're ensuring elections for generations to come so that they can be conducted not only in a safe manner, but a transparent manner. Because I think also part of the job that we have as conservative is not only ensuring prosperity for future generations, but ensuring they have a country they can trust in future generations. A huge problem with this country is no matter what institution uh, it is, whether it's tech, whether it's business, whether it's government, our elections, nobody trusts it anymore. And frankly, for good reason. So part of what we need to do as young conservatives is support policies like the audit, like voter integrity, that ensure people like us can actually have faith in our country again. That's what this audit is about. And I, I have to say, I think that, um, you know, the work that is being done in Arizona and the elections integrity steps that you guys have taken. Uh, there are people all over the country that are not only tuning into literally every piece of information that rolls out about it, but what, what every state and what every Republican party across the country is literally humming about is the elections integrity lessons that are being learned. Yes. Because in a state like mine, Oregon, where we basically invented the vote by mail, and um, you know, released it upon the rest of uh, re a rest of the country here in in the future. 
Um, we want those lessons learned. We want to be able to chase down those issues um, in, in a, a systematic way, because like yeah. you said, we need to, the one thing that we should not um, be concerned with is elections integrity. That should be such a, um, such a holy of holies that, you know, when, when people are concerned about it, the Democratic Party should have rolled out the red carpet in order to say, yes. in, in order to say, we will spend our own money and we will allow whomever you want to audit this so that we can guarantee and verify that this is 100%. Because you know what? If they would have done that, then Joe Biden, we would have known for a fact that Joe Biden would have been the absolute winner of this. But when a kid gets caught with their hand in the cookie jar, they typically want to blame somebody else for it. Or, oh, no, I was just putting it back. And it's just... Yes. I want to see both Republicans and Democrats stand up and say, we believe in elections integrity and we want a fair system yes. that's not rigged. No, exactly. And I think that's why so many people don't trust the system, because the people who had been yelling about election interference mm -hmm. uh, by the Russians for four years, suddenly um, the week after November 3rd, turned around and said, well, of course, this was a safe and secure election. Joe Biden won, didn't he? Mm -hmm. I, the, I cannot tell you the damage that partisanship does, like I mentioned, to the faith we should have um, in the institutions in our country. That naked partisanship is so destructive. And hey, you know what? To your second point, let's say this report comes out, this honor comes out, and it shows that Joe Biden won. Frankly, I accept that it could. It very well could. I'll accept if it does. The reality is there were 150 million votes cast and done so in a way that many people call dubious and or at least a logistical nightmare. Mm -hmm. So somewhere in there between 150 million votes stolen, which is wrong, and zero votes fraudulent or uh, illegally cast, which is also wrong, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And if you are doing everything you can, not just to cast doubt on the results of the election, but to cast doubt on the fact that the election was absolutely perfect among those margins I just described, well, that's what this audit is for, is to ensure to people that, hey, no matter who won, we have safe elections. I would be calling for this even if Trump did win. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I kind of want to ring that bell about um, losing faith in our institutions about hyper partisanship, because for Oregonians, I'm not sure if your state, probably not, um, is in a lockdown right now. But our governor has taken the unprecedented step in um, requiring requiring um, basically first responders and then some medical institutions to be required to, to take uh, the vaccine. Yes. And, and so with that, I, I feel like COVID-19, um, that was used as a, as a political volleyball to be passed around from whatever. And in my opinion, it is so egregious that we used um, a, a, a health epidemic as one to score points 
politically yes. one side or the other. It shouldn't be that at all. It should be the government communicating information that people need in order to protect their family, not in a partisan way, but in a fact-based way as quickly as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. We have the technology, we have the talent, we have the people, but instead mm-hmm. it's all spin. And we have to stop this as it, not only as, a, as the Republican party, because that's who we're responsible for, but also, we as we get elected into those into those offices, we need to be able to rip out that partisanship and say we've got a job to do. It doesn't matter if you're a, a donkey, yes. if you're if you're an elephant. Yes. Oh, and I think that's what has eroded, uh, even including for myself, trust in our elected mm-hmm. leaders and our yeah. institutions so much over the last year is really uh, two parts. One. The fact that our institutions have gotten everything so fundamentally wrong to how to respond to this, to lockdowns don't work, to masks don't work, to to uh, how January 6th was an insurrection, but BLM, which caused $2 billion in damages and dozens of deaths, is a peaceful protest. It's not so much that our leaders, both on the right or the left, because there's a lot of Republicans I've been very disappointed with over the last year. Um, on the right and the left, it's not just they're wrong on so many things. Their refusal to admit that they're wrong and staunch themselves in their own positions mm-hmm. leaves a lot of Americans feeling, okay, right now. Oh, well, it makes you bitter to think, okay, my leader or my institutions or the people that I trust are not only going to get every single thing wrong, they're going to get mad when I point them out. And there's no chance of that changing. That makes a lot of people lose faith and become very, very bitter in the system. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. And I have to say, um, I grew up in a super conservative uh, household, which I am very, very blessed to have. And I have to say, you know, when you're, it's one thing when your friend screws up, right? You might say something to him. But when a family member or somebody who's close to you screws up, you call them out for that stuff. And the thing is, is we need to be doing the same thing because as our elected representatives, they represent me, they represent you. And if we're not calling them out, if we're not actually going forward and knocking on that door and say, hey, representative so-and-so, I'm a Republican, I'm a PCP, I'm um, I'm a house district captain, I'm a young Republican. And you missed the mark. Not only did you miss the mark, but we can't support you if you keep yes. doing this. So yes. we have to we have to make sure that our elected representatives are accountable to us and to the American people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll give you a perfect example. And then we'll, I, I love the example that you brought up because um, one of the institutions that so many people lost faith in is, of course, the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think for many years, Um, And I've come to this conclusion, many other patriots have come to this conclusion that over the years, we've donated money, time, energy, back candidates, simply because they said, we're not the left, elect us, and we'll give you everything you ever wanted and voted for. (laughs) And in a way, we did that in 2016. The base, and whether you like Trump or not, or whatever you think about Trump, it's not, I personally like, like Trump, but the base got their candidate. In 2016, the base got the House it wanted in 2016. The base got the Senate in 2016. We had a trifecta of uh, Republican conservative control, 
and we had the majority of governorships all over the country. This was the time to get uh, everything done that we wanted. So my question is, is what did they get done? That's the point. They passed tax cuts, fine. But was what about internet privacy? What about, I mean, what about the uh, Americans hearing, uh, hearing protections ask, act? Oh. What about, what about, what about? Two years later, my first question was, okay, we had Republicans in control of the House, Senate, um, and presidency, and our agencies, and the majority of governors. Um, where's the wall? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I heard nothing but the wall for a year and a half from uh, Republicans campaigning around Trump and Trump himself. Where is the wall? Where is Planned Parenthood defended? Where is Obamacare repealed? Where, we, could where have the- easily, we could have easily brought our, brought our soldiers home to parades in every single yes. town. And we could have pulled our troops out in a way where we didn't leave billions of dollars of, of equipment oh, for our goodness. enemies to use against us in the future. We, but you cite a perfect example, um, going back into losing faith in many people. And this is what has made me, I don't want to say more libertarian, but certainly um, far more adverse, adverse to foreign intervention than I once was, is the idea of, Okay, we have third world nations within um, our own country. Yeah. In Ohio, where I grew up and where my family is from, if you go down to Mason, I mean, obviously, um, there are p- still people there. There's still industries there. There's still businesses there. But by and large, these places did not survive. You go down any of these places, and they're third world countries in of themselves. Dilapidated well, houses, closed businesses, industries shuttered, people with no hope that was ripped out of them. Mm-hmm. And partially because we had a class, including Republicans, that was willing to ship trillions overseas, invest trillions into multinational corporations to rebuild, watch it be destroyed, get paid to rebuild, watch it be destroyed, and then get paid to rebuild again. And the cycle continues on and on and on in a country that we had no stake in, the people had no stake in. And after 20 years, we have pulled out the same people that we kicked out are now back in charge. And many Americans are wondering, what was it all for? We spent 20 years nation building in Afghanistan. Why did we nation build in West Virginia? Why did we nation build in Alaska, in Ohio, in Michigan? I think that that type of investment that you're talking about um, would have been something that would have been really, really great to see in places like Portland when we spent the last two years burning our city down or shout out to our Washington YRs up there with Chaz with the uh, with Seattle. I mean, at one point, Chaz actually declared that they were their own sovereign nation. And when I heard that, I was just like, please invade. Please, please invade. Oh, my. It's like, yeah, no, I see. I see. I don't know if you follow that account libs of TikTok, but you just scroll through that sometimes and you see not only what is being taught, what is being pushed, what is being consumed in the media. And I'm it just makes you sit back or what's going on in Portland. Um, Just um, I it makes you sit back and go. It's like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe we want China to win. Not really. Kidding. Kidding. Of course. I know there's probably a few operatives listening to this. No, I don't want China to win. The YRs do not want China to win. No. Um, but but you get to a point is it makes you sit back and we think it makes you think we've pushed, put not only our money, our efforts and our trust and our energy into elected officials and institutions for decades. 
and they spent more time enriching themselves and selling us false promises, promises than doing anything to help the country. So I think a big part of our taking our power back is realizing that, yes, we need to spend every moment um, finding the left, but we can't outsource our movement to somebody that just defines himself as, okay, I'm just not the other guy. We yeah. need to go back into the grassroots. This is why it's so important what uh, you're doing, Stephen, what we're doing in Arizona is recruiting people to be precinct committee men. For anybody that doesn't know what that is, look, please look it up and become one. It's you become essentially the CEO of the Republican Party in your neighborhood. And the reason that's important is, and when I'm out recruiting PCs, the one thing I hear is, no, 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 I don't want to be involved with the Republican Party. And I hear many of the same things that we've just brought up. They're weak. They don't stand for anything. They stand for their corporate big business pals, and they care nothing about me. Why on earth would I be involved in the Republican Party? It's like, well, no, 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 no. You're not just involved in the Republican Party. You're running the Republican Party. Exactly. You're deciding issues on election integrity. You're deciding issues on it on what your party's platform is on immigration and border security. You're deciding issues on whether or not critical race theory and diversity, equity, inclusion curriculums get brought into your local schools. You retake your country from the ground up. So in short, do not outsource saving your country to somebody that doesn't fundamentally care about it. You have to take this into your own hands. Now, the Republican Party can certainly be a vehicle in that, but at the end of the day, it is up to each and every person listening to this to take back their country, starting with their own neighborhood, with their own schools, with their own committee. That's where it begins. Absolutely. The old saying goes, um, whether you're interested in politics, politics is interested in you. Yes. I'm, I'm going to double down and say that becoming a PCP was my very first step as becoming a um, active member uh, in my country, as well as in the Republican Party. And no matter where where you fall on the political spectrum, all of those Democrats that are listening, I want you to become a, a PCP member. I want you to represent your community, because at the end of the day, what politics is really about is if we can represent our community better than the people who are doing it before, then everybody is better off. So um, thank you very much. I appreciate you kind of introducing the idea of uh, PCs and um, in Oregon, we call them PCPs. Yes. Um, oh, so yeah, go ahead. Very, yes, of course, just to clarify in uh, Arizona, they're called PCs. They're actually called uh, different things all mm -hmm. over the country. Uh, if any of your listeners want, um, obviously, I'm here as my own individual person. I'm expressing my own individual um, a, um, opinions. But um, currently, I work with Turning Point USA, our sister organization, Turning Point Action. They have a wonderful website where you can look up not just what a precinct committee is or a PCP is, but how to become one, what your local state regulations are. Please go to turningpointaction.com if you're looking at this. They offer great resources and staff to assist you in retaking uh, your party from the ground up. That's awesome. That's a really, really great resource. And we've got a great turning point connection here in Oregon too. So if you guys um, either, either want to get in touch with them or if you're sitting in Arizona, it's an excellent resource. And the type of Honestly, when, when I first heard about Turning Point USA, they saved me hours upon hours upon hours looking up information and um, 
figuring out ways to get involved. So I, I would say that, that definitely check them out. Even, um, you know, what, whatever, whatever you're looking for out of them. So um, my next question for you is what kind of, what kind of major projects do you see for the YRs in Arizona um, in the future? What, what do you see looking forward to? What do you, what big secret project do you want to roll out in the coming up here soon? I don't know about secret, but we do have a few big events coming up that are not quite there. So, but uh, I'll be sure to, we'll be sure to announce them. But for right now, we are hitting the ground running. We are, are revitalizing chapters all over the state. We are injecting new blood into the Republican Party down here in Arizona. More than anything else, like I mentioned, is we are starting from the ground up. We're starting with PCs. We're recruiting with PCs. Every single time we're at a meeting, our chairman will say, if you're a PC, great. See me afterwards. If you're not a PC, well, great. Even better. I get to sign you up as a PC. Do not leave this meeting without doing so. We are able to influence candidates like um, for instance, Blake Masters is a fantastic candidate that's running right now, and that's not an endorsement anyway. It's there's uh, Bronovich is has uh, served the state well, and I don't mean anything against him. I like him; he's a very good man. But it gives you an example of people like Blake Masters are stepping up, demanding election integrity, like Kerry Lake and other candidates on the governor's side are all universally demanding election security and demanding on the flip side also, which is also a very big issue in Arizona, that CRT and draconian COVID rules are out of our schools in Arizona. We're able to uh, influence candidates from the ground up and the Republican Party from the ground up to take back um, issues that are not just um, spread out all over the country, but are very, very centralized to this state as well. So that's what we're working on right now. Right on. Well, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the kind of progress that uh, Arizona rolls out. We're looking forward to that report. So how can people get involved with you, contact you if they're living in Arizona, want to become young Republicans? Um, how, how can they get a hold of you? So obviously, at first point, if you're in Maricopa County, please reach out. Just go to Maricopa County, youngrepublicans.com. Reach out through our Instagram, our Twitter. Um, reach out through our site to our chairman, Luke. Arizona YRs, if you're elsewhere in the state, please reach out to Austin Smith, our chairman, or other uh, chapters that are local to you. Look, the, how I got involved was I knew Austin. I went up to Austin and said, how can I help? It doesn't matter what experience you have. It doesn't matter uh, if you're a political working in this field or, your, um, or whatever type of job that you have. The important thing is that you're involved. That's your fighting to take back your state. That's your fighting to take back your community. And most importantly, ensure the next generation's future. I don't care what you're doing. Like I said, I don't care if you're recruiting candidates or you're digging ditches. As long as you're in the arena, as long as you're fighting to take this country back, I want you on my side. I want you with us. All right. Well, the last question that I had for you is, uh, what are the three goals of the young Republicans? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, I'll recruit, train, elect. In our case, Going back to PC, man, I know we're beating a dead horse at this point, but let's take a few more whacks at it because in, in all seriousness, I cannot emphasize this more. If you have no experience and want to get involved on the ground level, this is a perfect opportunity to do so. Recruit good candidates, train them to run for office and, and uh, to knock doors, to have good policy positions, to win elections. And then, of course, elect. Elect good America First conservatives 
to the school, everything from the school boards all the way up to uh, the president of the United States. Every single election counts. Every single vote counts. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Young Republicans of Oregon podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Rumble. Please consider donating by visiting our website, youngrepublicansoforegon.org. The donations will pay for political trainings for our volunteers, travel expenses so we can spread our message across the U.S., and better tech equipment. Thank you.